We're going to continue in our series tonight in Hebrews. And I love that Cairo shared with us because it is like straight from. Can I do that? It is straight from the passage that we're going to look at tonight as we're doing part two of why Jesus is the perfect Savior. All right, so we're in Hebrews. If you guys will open up there with me. Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse 11. And last week I shared with you guys two of the five reasons why Jesus is the perfect Savior. And we see it here in this passage. I'm going to give you the last three reasons tonight. But let's read it first together. Hebrews 2, 11 to 18. It says, both the one who makes people holy And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I'll sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So here's, the, here's reason three why I think Jesus is the perfect Savior from this passage. Reason three is that he is our sanctifier. So last week we saw that he's our comforter. And he's also the captain of our salvation. Like Jesus runs ahead of us, clearing the path so we can follow him into a relationship with the Father, that we can be saved and have forgiveness of our sin, right? And so this week we see that he is our sanctifier. Now the word sanctify means that he makes us holy. He will make you holy. You're like, how can I be holy? Only God is holy, right? We usually only use that word in like really religious, weird like contexts. We probably don't think of ourselves as holy. But Jesus and what he's done, because he's the perfect savior, he's able to sanctify you and make you holy. Now, if you're like me, you probably thought that could never happen. Like, that's not even a possibility for a broken person like me. I'm a sinner. How could I ever call myself holy? But that's exactly what Jesus does. He sanctifies us. And that's what it says right here in these first couple verses. Did you see it? Both the one who makes people holy. That's what Jesus does. So think about your worst sin. Think about the thing like Cairo was talking about, that shame, right, that people didn't even know he had. He was like hiding in the corner. Jesus is like, I'm going to take that, I'm going to wash it clean, and I'm going to make you holy. That worst thing, the thing that if we were to speak it tonight in this room about you, you would just shrivel up and die. Like, I can't stand, I, I wouldn't be able to take it if people around me knew that I do this thing that I think these thoughts. And if you were exposed for that sin tonight, like how would that make you feel? Think about that thing, right? What is it for you? Jesus looks at that and says, I'm gonna make you holy. You don't need to be ashamed about that anymore. That guilt can go away. I can take it and erase it. My blood is good enough to wash that out of your life. That's what Jesus does. He's such a perfect savior. He literally sanctifies us and makes us holy just like him. 
both the one who makes people holy. Holiness means like being complete in God. It means nothing's added into it. You're just purely this one thing, right? And that one thing that God wants us to be is like him. It's like, I will make you like me. You get up and spend time with me and follow me. You're going to spend your life with me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to change you to be more and more like me. He's literally making you holy every day that you walk with him. And you say, Jesus, I don't know what the plan is today, but I can't wait to get up, get out of bed and follow you. Take my hand, walk me through the day. Let me learn from you. Change me, like make me repent, convict me of sin. Do what it takes, but make me like you. And when you become holy like God, complete in God, guess what? That's called holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, right? Because Jesus did it. What a perfect savior. Both the one who makes people holy, listen to this part, and those who are made holy, so us. So Jesus and us, that's what he's talking about here. Christ can restore your relationship that was broken by sin. He could take it and he'd make it totally better. There, there's him and us, and he wants to be the bridge that's broken when you don't know Jesus is your Savior. There's no way across it. You're just looking at God on the other side. Like, there's no way I can ever reach you. I'm stuck here because my sin broke the bridge between us. And Jesus is taking himself and us and saying, I'm building a bridge between you and God, you and myself, so we can have this relationship back. What a perfect Savior. This is what he wants to do. Those who are made holy are of the same family. This doesn't mean you become a little God. It means you become part of God's family. You get to be called a child of God himself. You get to be part of the inheritance that Jesus gets. You know what Jesus inherits? Everything. You get to share in that inheritance. The salvation that he gives you, you inherit everything with Jesus. You're part of this family. Look at this next phrase. This phrase blows my mind. I'm this broken person, stuck on the other side of the bridge, can't get to God, have sinned and messed up and have all this guilt and shame. Jesus comes along and builds a bridge, makes me his family. And then look at this phrase. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's talking about you and me. There are those in this room that look at each other and we're ashamed sometimes to be like, I know that person. Like, be honest. There are people in your life that you look at and you're kind of like embarrassed to like hang out with them or be with them. And maybe there's people that feel that way about you. Like, we're all just broken people. We have no right to feel that way about each other. But guess, guess what? Jesus, who is perfect, who is creator God, who is the lamb of God, like, Jesus is incredible, and we are broken. If anybody could look at somebody and go, I'm ashamed of even knowing you, it would be Jesus. He should have the right to do that. He is so much better than us. And this says he doesn't. He looks at us and says, I'm not ashamed of you. I love you. I love you enough to be nailed to a cross and to die for you, to be tortured and beaten. I'm not ashamed of you. I know the sin you've committed. I get it. I see inside your mind. I hear your thoughts. I know your heart, the dirtiest, most disgusting parts of you. I know it. And I'm not ashamed. 
I'm not ashamed to call you my brother or sister. I gladly went to that cross. I gladly took that beating because I love you so much. That's our perfect savior. Because in doing that, he sanctifies us. He makes us like him. He makes us holy. Are you ashamed of him? Are the broken ones? Those of us with guilt and shame, do we look at Jesus? And in our groups of friends, when the name of Jesus comes up, are we embarrassed? Are we ashamed to tell people we go to church or that we've been baptized? Maybe you're putting off baptism still today. Even though God's telling you to do it, you've been putting it off because you're embarrassed. Maybe when your friends ask you if you're a Christian, you don't want them to know because you're embarrassed. Jesus looks at you and is like, I'm not embarrassed. I am not ashamed of you. I love you. Why would we ever be ashamed of Jesus? The one who gave everything for us. Paul wasn't. In Romans 1.16, the apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. How could I be embarrassed of the one who saved me, who's giving me eternal life? How could that embarrass me? That he would love me so much to die for me. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who's unclean with leprosy. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. What Isaiah's talking about here is our sin, our greatest deeds that we could ever do, our best things that we could present to God are like those rags that they wrap around people's wounds who have leprosy as their skin is rotting off. Imagine how disgusting those rags get. And when God sees our best deeds, right, we think we're so proud. Like, I preached this thing, and I did this thing, and God, look at all the stuff I did for you. And And we present these things before God, like these great accomplishments we did for him. What he sees is like dirty, disgusting, filthy rags. That's the best we could offer him. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on you or your good deeds. He's not looking for that from you. He already knows about your shame and your guilt, and yet he still looks at you. He says, I love you. In spite of that stuff, I still love you, and I am not ashamed of you. Oh, I hope. I hope you're not ashamed of Jesus. I hope you look at Jesus and say, you're the one who's loved me so much, you died for me. And I will scream it out from the rooftops because I am not ashamed of you. The verse goes on and it says, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. This is a quote from Psalm 22, 22. I love it. He also quotes another quote. He says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. He's constantly just declaring, like, these are my brothers and sisters. These are the people that I am not ashamed of. I love them. I came to die for them. I was on a, I was, when I was living in Guatemala for a while, I was over there 
I'd only come back like once a year for Christmas and see my family. And I was coming back this one Christmas. I had been there an entire year and I hadn't seen my family. So I wanted to like really get my mom good. So what I did was I went to this little like Guatemalan thrift store type deal and found some crazy clothes. And I mean like crazy clothes. All right. And um, so I put these things on like really huge baggy clothes with these really bright designs and colors that looked like off the wall. And I found, like, you guys have seen that hat. I have, like, this hat that I had that has, like, long hair. I put that on. I put on these huge, weird-looking, like, sunglasses. Like, I tried to make myself not look like me, right? And just, like, insane. Because my mom gets really, like, weird about those things. She gets, like, really, like, embarrassed easily. So I was like, I'm going to embarrass my mom so much. I'm going to run out of the airplane, run out to see her in the lobby. I'm just going to give her this huge hug and pick her up and, like, yell her name so everybody looks. And I'm going to embarrass her like crazy. So that's exactly what I do. And so we're at the airport. You know that the Orlando airport has, I don't think it still has. It used to have like this big fountain like in the lobby. And she would wait for me at the fountain. That's how we find each other. Her and my dad were over at the fountain. So I get off the plane and I'm walking up there. And as I'm getting closer, they see like they're looking my direction, but like looking past me. So I know they don't recognize me. They have no idea who I am. Like they're probably thinking, what is that dude wearing? You know, that type of thing. And so I'm getting closer and closer and still nothing. So finally I'm like, this is my chance. So I grab my mama and she's just, you know, my mama, she's only this little short lady, right? I grab her with both arms, like a football tackle. And I pick her up off her feet and her feet start doing this. And I start spinning around and she's looking at me like her face is right here. She's looking at me just freaked out. Like, who is this random person who picked me up, right? So then I set her down and she's just in shock and I grab her head and I give her this big kiss on her cheek, right? So (laughs) my mama's from Boston. She makes a fist, right? And she slugs me across the face so hard, I literally lost my balance and fell into the fountain at the airport. I catch myself. So the top half of me is soaked. And as I'm going down, I grab mama because I don't want to fall in. So she goes down in with me and the two of us are just like, ah, like in the fountain splashing around. It's crazy. So we get up and she is so embarrassed because my hat falls off. She sees who I am, you know, and she's so mad at me. She's smacking me and hitting me and yelling at me. And like, I thought it's great. I'm laughing. We're walking out to the car. Let me tell you, it was a very quiet car ride home. She was so mad at me. She was so grumpy. (laughs) But she was really embarrassed, you know, like to be seen with me dressed like that and whatnot. And you you probably have different things that set you off, right? You have different things that embarrass you or that you would just die if people knew. Don't ever, ever let Jesus be one of them. Don't ever let the fact that you go to church and that you follow God, and that you read your Bible, and that you love this guy named Jesus who came to give his life for you. Don't ever let that embarrass you. That's the last thing you should be embarrassed by, because it's the most important thing in your entire life. Embrace Jesus. He comes at you with his arms open wide. You run into his arms, and you say, Jesus, I'm yours, and I'm not ashamed. He is the perfect Savior. Because he makes us holy. The second thing tonight is he's a perfect savior. This is reason four. Because he's our conqueror over Satan. We're lost in the battle against Satan. He's coming at us with angels and principalities and powers strategically trying to destroy us. 
He wants you to go down. He doesn't want you following God and having faith in God. He wants to steal your faith and put doubt in your mind and wreck your life. And listen, you ain't strong enough to fight Satan. It ain't gonna happen. He's the most powerful of all of God's creation. You're not. We were made below the angels. There's no way you're beating him. But luckily, Jesus says he'll fight the fight. He's our conqueror over Satan. Look at verse 14. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Like Jesus shared in our humanity, took on flesh, a body like ours, right? That by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. Jesus is fighting that battle for you to break Satan's one weapon he has against you, and it's death. He can always hang that over your head. He can always make you afraid that one day you're dying. Reminds you that your life has a time span, that there's an end coming. Satan can always dangle that as his greatest weapon to put fear in your heart. We even hear it, right? Like, you only live once, so I better do now what makes my heart happy because I'm going to die soon, so let me live it up. That's from Satan. That is straight from Satan. The fear of death causes us to believe that, and that's his weapon against us. Verse 15 says, and free those, free us, right, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's what Jesus has come to do. He knows that we can't beat Satan and that death is our greatest enemy. And so he said, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it so you don't have to die. I'm going to give you eternal life. And now when he tries to say, hey, death is coming, you can say, I'm living forever, dude. (laughs) I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm living forever in the presence of God because Jesus stepped in and paid that death for me. He died so I can live forever. Get away from me, Satan. You have nothing on me anymore. There's no weapon. No weapon forged against me that can actually prosper. Why? Because Jesus has already beat it. How could you ever be ashamed of Jesus? How could you ever be embarrassed for people to know that he's your savior? He's fighting on your side. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we die in this world, guess what? We get to be with Jesus. There's an eternal life awaiting us. And Paul declares that. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he says, Where, O oh death, is your victory? <laughs> Where, O oh death, is your sting? You got nothing on me. Jesus has already beat this battle. I don't have to fear anymore. I've shared this story with you guys before, but there was, when I worked in an orphanage in Guatemala, we, um, we had this little guy come in. His name was Lester. He was a street kid. He had been beaten a lot. He had no family. His mom was a drug addict. No idea where she was. His dad had died. And so he grew up in the back alleys of just the marketplace in Guatemala. And at night, people, men would come, older men would find him and would rape him and would beat him and would steal whatever little bit he had. And that was a nightly occurrence for this kid. He was just a child. Surviving on his own, whatever he could find to eat or steal, that's what he did. So eventually he gets found by authorities that bring him to the orphanage where I'm working. And when he comes in, like he has a rough go at it. It's so hard for him to adjust. 
and the nannies would come and tell me like, hey, Rob, like, because I would go and I would pray with the kids in their rooms at night before they would go to bed. I'd read the Bible and pray with them and, and say good night. And so one nanny was like, hey, Lester just won't ever take his shoes off. The dude just always gets in bed and gets his dirty feet all over the bed. And it's so annoying. I'm so tired of it. And he fights me on it and he will not take his shoes off. And I need you to talk to him. And I talked to him and he would still do it. It didn't matter. So she says, will you just, just one night, just sleep in there. Just take a cot, put it in the room. And just after you pray, just stay in there and, and sleep in there and see if your authority in the room will make him obey. Like, All right, whatever, like, I'll, I'll try it, whatever you want me to do. So I sleep in this little cot in the corner of the room. And that night I pray with the kids and Lester's like listening extra special that night. And we were talking about the power of Jesus and what Jesus could do. And I was basically sharing the gospel with these kids. Death can't conquer you. Similar to the message we're talking about tonight. And he's listening and I see him be attentive and, and we pray and, and he even volunteers to pray after me as we pray. And I, all the kids go to bed. I go back to my cot. I lay in my cot and I start to fall asleep. I'm exhausted. We work long days there. And after a couple hours, I feel something bump me. And I realized Lester had crawled up in my cot. Like, what are you doing, dude? You need to go back to your bed. And as he was laying there, I felt him kick my leg trying to get comfortable and I could feel his foot. And I realized, dude, you don't, you don't have your shoes on. You took your shoes off. And he looked up at me and said, I don't have to run anymore. I know I'm safe. Because he was so used to every single night thinking someone's coming to hurt me or steal something from me, or beat me, or do other things to me. I can't take my shoes off. I always have to be ready to get up and run. And here he is, finally feeling safe. And it wasn't because I was in the room. It was because he realized he didn't have to fear death because Jesus loved him enough to die for him. And that night, we got out of the bed, and he wanted to accept Jesus. We knelt on the side of the bed, and he prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior. And he took his shoes off. And there might be some of you guys here and here tonight who just don't want to do that, you know? You're fighting fear in your life. Some bad stuff's happened to you. There's some hurt. There's some pain. There's some stuff that causes you to keep God at a distance. Causes you to always feel like I've got to be ready to run. But what Jesus has done for you is he's taken that away. Not even death can keep you in the grave anymore if you believe in Jesus. He's giving you eternity, and he's taking away your fear. I'd ask you tonight, will you just trust him with it? Will you take your shoes off? Will you trust Jesus? The last thing, the fifth thing of why I believe Jesus is the perfect Savior is in these next couple verses, He's our sympathizer. Jesus can feel what we feel. He can understand us in ways that no one else could. Verses 16 to 18, we see this. It says, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Guess who that is? Like, that's us. (laughs) It's like the Jewish people. And we've been brought into this thing called salvation. And the gospel has been extended to all of us. Not even the angels did he do this for. He did it for us. He didn't die for angels to be saved. He died for you and me to be saved. Why? I don't know. It's mind-blowing, but I know he did it. 
and he loves us. And so here's my question. If Jesus would literally own our lostness like that, right? Own the fact that Rob Jones is broken and lost and I have no hope without him. Why would I not want to be like Jesus to other people in my life? Own their lostness and say, listen, you're lost, you're broken, you're without hope, and you need Jesus. Why would I not want to be that person that brings that message to my family that don't believe, to my friends at school, people that I work with? Why would I not share that with people who need to know Jesus? That's the thing Jesus did for us. And he can sympathize with us. Look what it says next. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them. He was 100% God. He never stopped being God. But he, he took on form 100% man at the same time. I can't explain that, but God is powerful enough to do that. And he does it, it says, it says fully human in every way in order that he might become, listen to this, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. A hundred percent God, a priest of God between us, this bridge, right? But then also this, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people becomes one of us too. And so because he's both, because he's God and man at the same time, he's able to be the bridge between God and man. Man had to die for our own sin, right? And that's why Jesus became man, so he could pay for our sin. But a man alone wasn't big enough to do it, so he also had to be God at the same time to be big enough to pay for all that sin because there was no one single man that could ever do it. So he became both. He said, I can do the impossible, and he becomes the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Look at verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. Are you struggling with sin like Cairo was talking about tonight? Dudes, are you struggling with lust in your mind? Things you look at on your phone or on your computer? Are you struggling maybe tonight with anger? Or maybe it's pride for you. You just think you're so much better than everybody else. You don't want to admit it, but it's there and you know it. Maybe it's a loose tongue for you and you just can't stop gossiping and talking about people and you wish you could stop, but you just keep doing it. Maybe for you, it's it's easier to lie than to tell the truth most of the time. Cheat on your tests and homework and things at school. It's just easier to do that than to put in the work. I don't know what that sin is that might be grabbing your life and have this stronghold on you right now. But Jesus says, I came to free you from it. He literally took on flesh, became a human for us to go to a cross. So you could be freed from that thing that's holding you hostage. And he wants you to have that freedom. Will you accept it? Tonight, will you accept it? Don't put it off. Tonight, will you look to God and say, that thing that is destroying me, I want to give it to you tonight. I want you to take it away from me. That same boy, Lester, after a little while, still had a really hard time adjusting to the orphanage. And so what he did was he thought he wasn't good enough. 
to be there. And so he takes off. He escapes. He runs away. And we couldn't find him anywhere. We had no idea where he was. But some friends of mine that worked there as well, like we loved this kid. We knew God had a plan for him. We just went out into all these villages around us and started walking the streets, knocking on doors, handing out flyers for seven days. We spent an entire week just looking for him. You guys are back there, just listen up, okay? We got a couple minutes left. We looked for him for a week. Can't find the kid. But we didn't give up. So finally one of us said, maybe he's not around here. Maybe he went back to where he came from. And so we go back to that market. The same market where he was raped over and over every night. The same market where he constantly got beat and robbed. And when we went back into the alleyways, into this dark alley, right where we thought he might be, guess what we find? There he was. And he was laid out on this pile of trash at the end of the alley, covered in blood, this huge gash on the top of his head. He had escaped back there, and the same thing happened. Because he had gotten new clothes from the orphanage and had some things he brought with him, it made him a target. And the disgusting people that lived back there wanted his stuff. And once again, they raped him. They beat him senseless. They took everything he owned and left him for dead, lying on the trash. And that's where we found him. And we picked him up and we carried him back to the orphanage. That's what Jesus is doing. Listen, some of y'all keep running back to the same garbage. You come to firehouse, you come to church. Some of you even go to a Christian school. I get it. Maybe you even claim Jesus. But when you have actual opportunities to be in the presence of Jesus, you're too in to ignoring him. You're too ashamed to actually look interested in him. You're too distracted by your own sin, and you run back to it. Maybe tonight he's saying, listen, I want your attention. I want you to see how much I love you. I want you to stop being ashamed of me because I've given everything for you. Maybe tonight you stop running back to the trash, and instead you run into the arms of Jesus. He is the perfect Savior. And that's what he wants you to do. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? The band's going to lead us in another song. And while they do, would you just have a moment with God? Would you just ask him, like, am I running back to my trash? Am I running back to my sin? And if he says you are, will you have an open enough heart to go, okay, God, I'm going to deal with this thing tonight. I'm going to stop pushing it off. I want to be close to you. Maybe you've never met Jesus. And tonight you're saying like, I want to know that Jesus that takes away my guilt and shame, that fixes it all, this perfect savior. I want to know him, Rob. How do I do that? Would you just take a minute tonight and just ask God, is that me?